Shout out to Clarity for supporting this episode and providing us with the samples. I've been battling allergies for years now. Let me tell you, they've been a real ordeal in my life. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available release sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to ClaritinD.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. What's up, gang? Welcome to The Greatness Machine. I'm your host, Darius Mershazde. I'm so pumped to have you here with me. Now, listen, The Greatness Machine, we're about two things. Number one, people who are living their passions. And number two, those who are creating greatness in the world and doing both of these things despite the odds against them. Each episode, we're going to feature interviews with game changers, business leaders, you know, telling us their origin stories, what made them tick, what got them to where they are now. Why? So it can help you step into your greatness within your life, your business, and your career. Occasionally, you might hear a few solo episodes from myself, moi, as I say, as I leverage my 20 years of entrepreneurship as a CEO and founder to help you grow and level up in your journey to scale your life and your business. So come be a fly on the wall, enjoy the conversation, and I'm stoked to have you here with me. Guys, welcome to The Greatness Machine. I'm your host, Darius Mershazde, and boy, do we have a special guest today. My main man, John Jackson, is in the house. What's up, John? Hey, Darius. Really happy to be here. You know, John was introduced to a life of crime at the age of 17 by a person who promised to protect him, and after serving 18 years in prison, he became entrenched in gang culture. He was locked up in uh, Pelican Bay, one of the worst of the worst supermax prisons in the United States, and uh, his life has been transformed. He now works with gang leaders nationwide to interrupt generational cycles of violence and incarceration. Currently, you serve as the, John serves as the Director of Correctional Partnerships for Hustle 2.0, um, and which is essentially a evidence-based trauma-informed curriculum used in more than 450 jails and prisons across the U.S. He's a co-author of 10 books, TEDx speaker, key, keynote speaker for multiple organizations, advocating for second chances for the incarcerated. So, man, John, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for taking a leap of faith and uh, trusting Kat's word. It, it was worth talking to me. I'm really grateful to be here. Yeah, no, it's, it's great to have you. So, um, so man, like, you know, obviously that's, that's uh, what, maybe 150 words to describe quite a, quite a life so far. Um, I'm sure yeah. it's going to do it no justice, but I'd love to, you know, take us back to the, you know, give us your background, you know, and start from, you know, where you, where you're brought up and, and how you got into this gang culture. I'd love to hear that story. And then we could kind of talk about what happened and, and how you got to where you're at now. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, I was born and raised in San Antonio, Texas. And I was raised with my mom. And early on in life, my mom, I don't know what she was into. I don't really remember much of that. But I do. Uh, one of the memories that really sticks out to me was when I was 11, I'm on my way to school one morning and I find the car parked on the side of the road and it, that turned out to be my mom's murder scene. Oh my God. So I found, I found my mom's murder scene. I never knew who my father was. So after that, I go to live with my mom's sister, my aunt, and she's the one who introduced me to a life of crime. She was a drug dealer and I was with her one night and she gets pulled over. She's got drugs in the car. She's already been arrested. So she tells me, like I'm 17, I'm 17 year old kid. She's like, John, like if the cops find the drugs, like tell them they're yours. Like if I get, if they find them, if they find them, they bite me, I'm going to prison. So I already lost my mother, right? Like I don't want to lose, I don't want to lose my aunt too, the person who like is supposed to protect me. So the cops found the drugs and I did, I told them they were mine. And she watched as I was handcuffed and placed in the back of a cop car and charged with possession, transportation, and sales of a controlled substance. And that was my first time ever being arrested. That was my introduction to a criminal lifestyle. And I, I, what I got from that was I got praise from my aunt, right? Like, good job. Like, this is what you do for family. You protect your family. Wow. So uh, let me ask you a question. So what kind of drugs were they? Do you remember? Do you remember? Crack cocaine. So she, so she hands you how much? Do you know how, how much there was? Like it's about two grams. So not, so not very much. Not a lot. Yeah, yeah. for you non-drug users, two grams of of of, uh, of anything is not a lot. Go get a scale out and put it on there. So, so very small amount 
of of drugs probably like it's like under 50 bucks worth of drugs right yeah it really it was it was a, luckily it was towards the end of the night she had already like sold most of her drugs off and like luckily it wasn't more because i would have whatever it didn't matter what it was i would have said it was mine to protect my aunt so it, yeah i'm like it's pretty bad that i know the price of i, I actually don't know the price of drugs. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I I swear to God, I know about crack cocaine. Um, but yeah, the market value, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, two grams is twenty-seven seventy a gram. <laughs> I just I, I figured it was. I mean, that's not a lot. Of, you know, two grams is. I know I know what stuff weighs. Like, two yeah. grams is a very small. <laughs> there's twenty-seven grams in an ounce, and there's sixteen gra- ounces in a pound. So I know I know my just, math. Okay? Just break down the math on drugs. <laughs> Yeah, let's talk about the price, the the arbitrage price of weed versus crack. So, so, of course, Darius goes straight for the comedy hour on (laughs) on a teenager getting busted for his aunt's drug. So, so did you go to juvie for that? No, uh, I went to the adult. I went to adult uh, county jail. Shut the fuck up. um, At seventeen, but thankfully, well, my aunt predicted it right that it was my first time being arrested. They're going to give you a slap on the wrist and let you go, and that's what happened. A couple of weeks later, they released me. So you go to so so you've never been you've never done anything wrong, like even like anything bad before this. I, I of course I I'd stolen from the little like local store, a little shoplifting. Not not minimizing. I don't want to minimize stealing as as a kid, youth, adult, whatever. But just nothing at that level. But, but, but I mean, you never had like gotten in trouble for it. Like, no, I've never been arrested. I was, I, I was a chronic, like, I was a total chronic shopper when I was a kid. <laughs> so <laughs> I had a problem. <laughs> I've never admitted this on the show, but when I was like 13, I shoplifted for a little bit. Um, and then hey, I, it's okay. Join, join, uh, I've done a little more than shoplifting. So <laughs> you're, 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 no judgment here. No, no, no. You know, it's, it's interesting as, as you know, I, I've had family members that have grown up in, around you know aunts or uncles or just you know their 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 parents were not there right yeah and, and you know if if or their or their parents were in you know in crime and 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 it's interesting to see like that's the environment it's like you are what you're around right yeah so so, so you get praise from your aunt and then and then what happens so i got out of i guess i get out a couple of weeks later my aunt praises me for this and i'm like well this is what i Looking back now, I know this is what I've been looking for since I lost my mom, right? I've been looking for this acceptance, this family, and I'm getting it. She's praising me, like, good job. So I lean into the, I, I, I leaned in. I'm like, okay. So I started committing aggravated. I took it, I escalated my crime pretty quickly. I committed my first aggravated robbery at age 17. Oh, um, wow. So right after that, you just like, you're like, yeah. oh. so were you like, what, were you excited to do it or were you just like, like, I, I I wouldn't say I was excited to do it, but I what I was excited to what I was excited to do was provide like take care of my family and my aunt and get that praise again of like, wow, good job. You're you know, you're doing good things. You're bringing money in, you're making money. And I did. I got praise when I would commit a robbery. I'd bring money home to her and like share my money with the family. It's like, yeah, good job. So I she's reinforcing that this is good behavior. Wow, and and had she so she was a, 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 like a what, drug sold drugs. She was kind of in that drug lifestyle. She's selling drugs, and you yeah. know, for her, like crime was just you know it's part of the deal, right? Yeah. And it, my, one thing about my aunt, she's a natural born hustler. I respect her hustle, her her grind, and like her entrepreneurial spirit. She just misused them. Uh, she misused them. Yeah, and so. So you committed your first aggravated uh, robbery at 18, 17, you said? 17, and I went to, so I committed a string of aggravated robberies. I committed four aggravated robberies a couple of weeks after my release from the drugs and was arrested like that uh, a couple of weeks later. Okay, so, so, you, so you did get caught pretty quickly. I got caught really quickly. Before the, so after I was arrested for the drugs and released, before the end of that year, I was already I was already on my way to a maximum security prison. Oh, uh, she, she didn't teach you the part where the, the the most important part: don't get caught. Yeah, she did not teach you the don't get caught part. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 like like crime one hundred and one. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> so so she does so she didn't teach you that part, which you know that's that's obviously you know it's negative then, but probably in the long run, you yeah. know, positive. Uh, it, it, 
because you would have probably created a lot more, you know, harm for people or could have even escalated more outside of prison. Yeah. Um, but man, so was that your second offense that, that you went to the prison? Uh, the, yeah, second offense, but multiple, it was multiple offenses that resulted in me going to prison. Got it. And what, how long was the sentence for? The original sentence was for 16 years. What? 16? And you're 18 or 17 at this point? I was 17 at the time. You're 17 years old. You're just doing some stupid shit. I mean, listen, like, I'm not trying to minimize robbing a bunch yeah. of people, but like, but the, like, but, but, it, but 16 years, like, that's, that's crazy. I mean, yeah, it's, there was, um, I, and I love that you said, like, I'm not going to minimize that I hurt people. I created victims and I traumatized them, and that will stay with them for the rest of their lives. But as, what, as seven, what as, is, can I ask a question? Yeah. What's aggravated robbery? Is that like, is that like, what's that? What's that? So I put it, it means I had a gun. I okay. either gun to their head or I, I use a gun to, I, I, in all of my robberies, I use a gun. Was it loaded? Yes, it was loaded. Oh shit, man. Okay. So, all right. So, so that, that, that is, I mean, that's scary. Yeah. Right? And, and did, were you intent on using it or you're like, I'm just going to scare them? No. Um, I, I never intended on using it or her, um, physically hurting them i definitely mentally and emotionally scarred them yeah yeah for sure yeah shout out to claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with the samples hey there friends it's darius from shazda here and i have a little confession to make you see i've been battling allergies for years now and let me tell you they've been a real ordeal in my life allergies have been my constant companion they stop me from fully enjoying the little things in life from canceling plans with friends because of sudden allergy attack to missing out on an outdoor activity because of the sneezing fits, allergies have been a real nuisance. Luckily, for those of us who live with symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing and a runny nose, itchy, watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. I've been a Claritin D user for many, many years now. And let me tell you, it's made a world of difference. Since I started using Claritin D, my symptoms have improved dramatically. Now I can breathe easier, enjoy outdoor activities without worrying about sneezing fits and truly live my life without being held back by allergies. Ready to live as if you don't have allergies, it's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter now. You don't even need a prescription. Go to ClaritinD.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin Clear, uses directed. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. In the world of successful partnerships, names like Procter & Gamble, Ben & Jerry, and Supply and Demand echo through business history. But when it comes to growing your business, who are the perfect partners? That's you and Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. We're talking from launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the, did we hit a million dollar order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling shipping supplies or promoting productivity programs, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Picture this, a time when my business was facing a tough hurdle and I wasn't sure how to break through. But then came the breakthrough moment, a game changer that took my business to the next level. You know, what I absolutely adore about Shopify is its unparalleled ability to adapt and grow with your ambitions. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 75 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Darius, all lowercase. That's D-A-R-I-U-S. Go to shopify.com slash Darius now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Darius. So, so, okay. So that's what aggravated. Sorry. I don't, I don't know all this stuff. So, so you, um, 
So, so they they throw the I guess the term for that's throwing the book at you, man. They're like, yeah, screw this kid. Like this guy's yeah. like, we're we're gonna teach. And you're in Texas too, which is pretty. No, I had actually I had actually already I was on the run. I went from Texas to California, so I was arrested for my first robbery in Texas, and I bonded out and I split. I went to California. Oh, okay. So so you were you were uh, a fugitive, I guess. Yeah, and I committed more aggravated robberies in California. And so, uh, where were you in California where you got caught? I was in San Bernardino, just okay. in California. Yeah, no, I, I used to work at gas stations near San Bernardino. My my, my folks own uh, Riverside County, but um, so so you um, so you get caught in California, which is you know, I guess maybe in some cases better than Texas because Texas is yeah. hard on crime. I mean, they may you might like, it might have been impossible to get out if you were in Texas. Yeah, I I, I I I definitely believe that if I had I'd been arrested in texas would have been i would be on it's a complete different trajectory of where i to where i am now so so you get into prison you're 17 you've committed a few crimes but dude you're still pretty green and you're a teenager. Yeah. i mean you're a teenager dude i mean you're like i mean there, i mean i mean there's people i mean I, everyone does dumb shit when they're a teenager yours may have been a, a different type of dumb right but but dude you're still a kid yeah. you know total kid so so you're a kid they try they basically put try you as an adult yeah and you go to prison what what prison did they put you in to start my first prison was sentinella state prison it's a level four maximum security prison so that was my first prison and when, I, I was 18 i was 18 when i got to prison 17 in county jail 18 when i get to a maximum security prison and man what was that like uh so you hear all the stories about uh like very, uh, at least in California, that stuff is not true. Like, you don't walk up to the biggest dude and punch him. Like, there's it, it none of that. Um, I came from Southern California. So I, I was, when I was in the county jail, I joined the gang almost immediately when I got there. I, I had all the skills that, I have all the skills that make a great gang member, right? Like, I'm a good leader. I'm a hustler. I, and I, I have the ability to be violent. I had. So, so. Okay, so you get there and you're like, was did did your aunt or anybody say, hey, listen, you got to join a gang? Or no. Was this just like instinctual? You're like, all right, I've watched enough movies and like understand the way this shit works. Like, I, I got to watch my back. No, when I got there, uh, some of the who eventually became my homeboys were like, hey, who do you run with? I'm like, I don't run with anybody. Like, you know, and I stood up to them. Just made, like, they saw that I had heart, right? It's like, and they were like, "Well, you're running with us now." So, I'm like, all right. I so, didn't know. I didn't know what all that what, what all that meant at the time. Um, but I was like, "Shit, you got a bunch of guys who who are going to accept me and protect me, and I'm going to protect them." I got a family. I have my family. I got. Yeah. Well, so so so, and I, forgive me if my like understanding of of prison culture is wrong. But and this all comes from movies, more or less. But my, <laughs> so. My understanding is like it's usually ethnic based, right? It's it like, is. It's like, like I, was, I was part of a Mexican gang, one of the large. I'm part of, I became. I eventually became a member of one of the largest prison gangs in the United States. So, so, so sorry, John Jackson threw me off a little bit. So, yeah. So, <laughs> my father, my father was Mexican. Got it. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So, 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 so you're like, so you're half Mexican, is that correct? Yeah. All right. So you're like, all right, uh, that that's my crew. And and so yeah, walk me through that experience. So it was when I got there, I got to I got to jail. The homies hit me up like, "All right, you're running with us now. You're one of us. Here are the rules. Here are the regulations. Here's how we roll. Here's what we do." And I'm like, "I love this. I love structure. Like we work out every day. We're clean. We do this. We do that." And I'm like, "I'm in." So like, where do I sign up? And because of the like the skills that I have, my leadership skills and my entrepreneurial skills, I started to like I started to gain responsibility within the gang pretty quickly. Well, and what is what does that look like in the gang? In the gang, that means like enforcing the rules. So give me yeah. an example of a rule. So we don't uh sorry, I'm say we, I'm not we anymore. Uh not sleeping during the day, like shoes on, being clean, being respectful, presenting our presenting yourself respectfully. And some people don't do that. Like people don't grow up in that culture. But when you come in to jail or you come into prison, like you're going to keep a clean cell. You're going to, you know, when the when program is running, when everybody's outside of their cells during the day, you will be awake and alert and on your toes and ready for anything. 
Oh, so this is more of like a militant position. It's very, everybody is, the gangs are very mili uh, militaristic. Yeah. There's structure, there are rules. Like the myth that fights just have, fights don't just happen, right? Like it happens for a reason. Like somebody broke a rule or somebody did something wrong. Nobody just wakes up one morning and is like, I don't have to like stabbing somebody today and do it. It's not the way, that's not my, that was not my experience in prison. So, and you said that you were part, part of the largest uh, prison gangs in the United States. What, what was the name of it? I was a Sureño. Sureño? Yeah. And is there... In California, you grew up in the Riverside area. Every Mexican that you were probably around down there was probably, if they were gang involved, that's what they were. Yeah, I've, I've heard that term, that, that name of a gang before. Um, yeah. and, and, and was there any ties to like the Mexican Mafia or is it all just like Southern California gangs? No, it, it is. So eventually when I work, um, I'm not a member of the Mexican Mafia, but eventually when I started working my way up, I earned my way to Pelican Bay State Prison where the leaders of the Mexican Mafia are housed and they became my mentors and my friends. And that's who I was surrounded with. And they are, yeah, they are the, it's the Mexican Mafia. So when you so using that that terminology of working your way up, you know, you, like you were 17 when you got in, you were there, you worked your way up to Pelican. How long did it take for you to get to Pelican Bay? I got there in 2013. Uh, okay. So I went to prison in 2001. So about 12 years it took me to get there. So you're 30 years old at this point. Now, now you had originally got a 16 year sentence. And my understanding is the way sentences work, and this is not federal prison, was it? This is no, it's a state prison. State prison, right? So my understanding is like, yeah, if you get 16 and you, you behave well, you can get out in like seven. Or yeah, I didn't, I didn't behave myself. Oh, so you were like, you got institutionalized. You're like, oh man, this is. I'm not. Why do I need to go back out? I'm, I'm going to stay here. Well, it's not. It wasn't that I need to stay here. It was at 17, 18, 19 years old. Like I couldn't see 16 years down the road. Like this was my life. The gang was my life. Prison was my life. And like I, I had settled on the fact that I'm going to die in here, right? I'm going to wow. die. In here. Um, this is this is what this is what I was made to do. I was made to to, to, to be here in this place. Because you were like thriving, and you got a lot of like social authority, like authority, and people like were giving you praise for being a, yeah. a good soldier or whatever. You yeah, know. I'm making money. I'm so I get to sell drugs. I get to be an authority figure. I get to I get to use all the skills, all these great skills that I have. I'm just misusing them. So like, why do I want to go anywhere else? This is what this is what I'm made to do. I'm going to die here eventually, and just it is what it is. Interesting. And so, and so because of that, you were what getting charged with additional crimes while you're in prison. Yeah. I got eight additional years added onto my prison sentence while I was incarcerated for engaging in gang criminal activity and violence. Interesting. Okay. And so you were there for, so you became a good, a good prison, you know, a good, uh, what, what will be the term? A good gang member. A gang member. Yeah. yeah. So you're thriving in gang culture. You get, you're getting additional years. And so now you're like, dude, I'm, I'm always going to be here. So I might as well just, just, do my thing and be good at this right yeah. so you're, you're you're ambitious in that sense which you know again like this is hustle 2.0 and defy and all of these things that cat has created are all really around taking these natural and or learned tools that are being misapplied and yep. applying them in a, in a in a positive way right so if, if we say all the things we just said that you're a good leader and that you were you know great at carrying out orders or projects or executing on initiatives and you, you know that you know all those things a great leader yeah. ambitious hardworking, you know uh very uh disciplined i just named eight really important qualities of of a of someone who's going to thrive in a corporate culture yeah but miss a pie if I, told, if I told you darius hey do you want to hire a person who has all these skills and is like has yeah. proven them for 18 years of their life like you'd be like hell yeah send them my way i want this person as a part of my organization yeah, they worked their way up. 18 yeah. years in the same, even to stay in the same organization for 18 years. That's unheard of. That's what right. we teach our guys in our curriculum is that, hey, like, you have a problem. You have loyalty is a problem in hiring people, right? Like, I want a loyal employee. I want somebody who's going to stick it out when things get tough or what, like, well, that's what it's about in the game. Like, loyalty sticking it out when it's tough and, like, it sucks sometimes. But I, I'm, 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 I am loyal to my, I was very loyal to my game. Right. Yeah, years of my life. Yeah, I was gonna say to to the point where you're you're just bulking on years of sentence to your life, right? Yeah. So so after twelve years, I'm guessing because of the quote unquote crimes committed in prison, 
you were they escalated you to a worse prison because they're like this guy's we because they saw you i guess as more of a threat right yeah i did every time you get in trial so i did four years in solitary confinement and my last my last term in solitary confinement was when i guess they decided well you know what that's when we've had enough of this crap we're sitting in pelican bay and when you get sent to pelican bay is where it's the furthest prison away from anything you can imagine it's so it's isolated and it's isolated intentionally because they put quote the worst of the worst up there and pelican bay so i've uh my last shoe term or the shoe is the whole solitary confinement they kicked me out to pelican bay and wait let me ask a question so four years in solitary meaning four straight years no my longest term my longest term in solitary confinement is 15 months so four years cumulative yeah Right, but fifteen months. You did one stint for fifteen months, a year and three months in a row, where you were just like there for yeah, fifteen months in solitary. And and what, and what is what's solitary? What is that like? You're in a box with a bed, and like that's it. But the way I, the way I describe it to people who don't know what that looks like is: imagine being locked in your elevator, in in an elevator, and now imagine being locked in your elevator without your cell phone or any kind of communication or contact, you're in there by yourself. And imagine that for an hour, imagine a day, now a week. And whenever you're going to get, quote, outdoor recreational activity, it's another elevator. That's your outdoor recreational activity. It's another elevator. So they pop your door, you walk down a hallway, and you go to walk in another elevator, and you walk around in a circle in there. That's that's solitary confinement. Wait, is the outdoor like the other elevator has no outdoor like light, natural light, nothing? It's a, I want to say it's about a thirty foot high wall that has a screen and mesh on top of it, so no sunlight. It's it's that it, it is intentionally meant, it is intentionally built to break people, to right. break human beings, to torture them. It's not to correct any behavior. It's not to. It's strictly punishment, torture, and uh to break you and does it i mean i could see it, that it would break people but does it get people to act better no i don't like, say i'm like how do you if i i mean your first time if i went if you put me in that for an hour i'd be like yeah i'll behave <laughs> it, it to me whenever you're there you have cops telling you like the only way you're going to leave here is in a box well i'm like well screw you like you're not going to break me and that's the mentality uh, that you, the cop, is you are not going to break me I'll freaking thrive back here. I'll do more than just live. I'll freaking thrive in this place. Oh, in, sol- in solitary, you're saying? Right. Yeah, I thrive back there. Like, it's working out, exercising. You have access to books, reading, educating yourselves. Like you're just. And when you go to the shoe, it's a right. When you go to solitary, it's a rite of passage. Oh wow. Okay, so 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 you do have access to working out and books. Well, you just work out. You do push-ups. You do burpees. You work out in yourself. That's just what. That's just what we would do. And you read and you study and you just become bigger, faster, stronger and better at what you do. And they they look at it as punishment. And yeah, it sucks to be back there. But it's also like when this when, when I found out I was going to Pelican Bay, I'm like, you're giving me what I want. You're sending me to the freaking White House. Good looking out. Thank you. Oh, you're excited because you're like, dude, this this is I'm moving on up. Yeah, it's freaking Harvard. It's whatever. It's like whatever thing you could whatever group organization you want to be a part of or you want that exclusive club you want to be a part of you just get you just sent me there and and so so you get to pelican bay and you've in your mind you're like i don't i'm the big time like i've 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 graduated to like the highest level of like prisoner right yeah i get to be around the people that i've always wanted to be like like these leaders these gang leaders these top gang leaders like I get to see them. I get it's basically I get to be around the top CEOs in the country now. So exclusive club. So it, so this was 2013. I'm trying to think. We're but like this is right. What I mean, they were bringing a bunch of like like the guys from Mexico. The the uh, was it the Sinaloa cartel? Yeah, the cartels. Yeah, they were bringing them up to the state. Were they were those guys up in Pelican No, they they. Predominantly send them to federal penitentiaries. Yeah, that's right. Those guys are all federal. So, yeah. but these are, but you, but now you're working with like the like the most you know renowned you know gang members in the country. And what was that like for you? For, at first, I'm a fear. I'm not fearless. Like I don't like the word fearless. Everybody has. I think I believe everybody has fears. So I was scared. I'm like, 
I'm going to Pelican Bay now. Like this is real. Like I'm, um, it's a, it was always known as an extremely violent prison. Like you go there, like it's violent. So when I got there, I'm like, oh shit, like here, uh, here it goes. Right. Like up to this point, the violence was not, not so much. No, plenty of violence, but you know how some places have a reputation. Pelican Bay has that reputation. Where there's, where there's a lot, do a lot of the, the the incarcerated get murdered there? Is that part of it? Yeah, it's murders, riots, it's sta- uh, stabbing cops, like you name it. Like you, when you get there, there's an expectation that this is what this is. You know, you got everybody that's there earned their way there. Nobody accidentally showed up at Pelican Bay. Everybody there has been to the shoes and stabbed or stabbed someone or been in a riot or like it's not. It's not your average like uh, incarcerated person there. So what what got you there was what just the last time in the shoe they're like this guy is just too much. Like this it was my it was my second uh, it was my second time with uh, using a weapon and getting caught with using a weapon and that's when it's like okay like you're stabbing you're involved in riots you're racial riots you're doing all this now you're going to Pelican Bay. So you you were scared because you're like oh this is I mean at some part of you. It sounds like was scared. The other part of you was to your, your earlier comments was like, yeah, excited. I guess a little bit. Well, it's excitement mixed with that fear. It's like, yeah, it, like crap. What am I going to have to do to measure up to everybody else? You know, you have this expectation in your head of everybody else there. Like, imagine you're going to like this top CEO group somewhere, and you, you, you know, you're awesome CEO. You run a huge company, but you also have these fears and doubts in your head. Maybe they're like, well, maybe I don't measure up. Maybe what are, what everybody else here is better than me, or so it's the, I, a lot of that same head talk. Yeah, like so almost imposter syndrome, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, well, I've only done a couple of stabbings. I've only been in a couple of riots. Like, I haven't really, did I really earn my way up here? Wow. So so you get there and what, what, once, I guess, how was that? How was that transition? It really wasn't all that. It's just, an, it's an, when I got there, it was just another prison. Oh, it, wasn't any, it, it wasn't any different. Like, the, the culture there is very different in that violence can happen in any moment. And like the cops, the COs there have a very different mentality. Very uh, different. Um, how, how so? Like more, more, more aggressive? Much more aggressive. They are much more militaristic as well. They, and right, I, I believe they have a reason uh, to feel, to create, to be a part of the us versus them mentality because they have been stabbed, sliced, attacked by incarcerated people up there because it is such a violent prison so it really does create a us versus them mentality and they feed into it just as much as the incarcerated population does and they're very aggressive they're very um it's a very good old boys club it's up in the middle of nowhere predominantly white older white men who have certain beliefs political beliefs and beliefs about people who are incarcerated and the same thing goes for the incarcerated population i I once had a belief about them, who they are, who they were, why they do what they do, and those those beliefs uh, are dangerous. So, what once you got set? So this is 2013. How long were you in Pelican Bay for? I was in Pelican Bay from 2013 to 2019 when I paroled. I paroled from Pelican Bay in 2019. So I got to assume like the chance of, of paroling from Pelican Bay is probably very very low. Like if if, if it's hard to get there, then then it's probably hard to get out of there. Like what what was it? What was the turning point for you at Pelican Bay? The turning point for me was my 33rd birthday. It was actually the day before my 33rd birthday when I sat in my cell. I was supposed to go home the next day, but because of my gang and criminal activity, I was starting another four year sentence that on my birthday. Oh, so this is like your oh, this is my sixteenth year. I'm I'm yeah. supposed to be out. And you so you, you had like an epiphany. I was I my epiphany was that I don't want to die in here. I don't wow. want to, I don't want to die in a concrete box. I don't I will nobody will remember me. My homeboys won't care. I've seen plenty of my homies die. I don't remember their names. Right? Like nobody's gonna remember me. I don't wanna die in here. I was meant for more than freaking dying in a concrete box. What do you think? Was it like a religious experience or something that just like made that moment happen for you? What What was it? Just a, it's like a thought? Like, how did you come to that conclusion after 16 years of obviously moving in the opposite direction? It was sitting in my cell. Uh, you sit in a, I want to say it's about an eight by 12 foot cell. And my celly is, is the person that you live with. You know, he went out to the yard. I was like, I'm going to stay back today. And I just thought about, I, I really had the thoughts of like, 
this is really where I'm going to die. These four, these four walls. I'm one day I'm going to die in here. They're going to take my body out of this cell, and that's going to be the end of it. I don't want that. I want something more for my life. I don't want to die in here. So I, I was like, well, what do I do about that? I have to. I, I can. I've wanted to change my life, but here's here's the opportunity for me to do it. Uh, but you feel trapped. You're like I'm in a gang. You know, the saying goes until the casket drops, and that's that is almost literal. The way out of the gang is death. So, so if people want to bow out of the gang because they want to change their life, is the, the gang says no, that's not okay. That's not okay. There's so you can, you what's, can. Do, what's the rule on that? You can. There's one of two ways to go, which is you debrief or you snitch. I I didn't do that. I left. I did not. That's considered the most dishonorable way to leave the gang, and you're marked for death when you do that, anyways. I pride, stubbornness, whatever you want to call it. I I refused to do that. I refused to snitch and turn my back on everything that I everything I believed in up until that point. Um, the other way is you just eventually get old and you age out and you die. So you can't you can't just say like, hey, dude, I, I actually want to get out of the game. I mean, like. Like there's no, so, so, so those are two options. You obviously didn't do either of those two. What was your no. option? My option was, uh, bravery mixed with stupidity, uh, coming out and started, I started incrementally changing my life, which was separating myself from my homeboys who were with the BS, with the drama, who were still gang involved, heavily gang involved and letting them know like, Hey, I'm not doing this anymore. Like if you guys want to kill me, go for it. But I'm coming to this yard every day. I'll be right here. But I'm not. I'm not doing it anymore. I'm not. I'm not selling drugs. I'm not. I'm not participating in uh, gang activity. And it didn't happen overnight either. I didn't like. Hey guys, I'm done. I'm out. It was small incremental steps to separate myself and show that hey, I'm serious about this. And, and what was their reaction? Uh, their react at first, it, threats, intimidation. Like you don't. You know. You don't get to do that. You don't get to walk away. Like you're on this yard. Like you're. You know. You're here. You're one of us. There's only, there's no way out. And, but, and, but, they, but no one followed through on, on the threats. No. So you see, so when Andre was on the show, he's like, "Look, like I was like one of the. He, I think he said he was the top three gang member in the in the in the st- in the state, right? Yeah. He's like, you don't get to that level without doing a ton of stuff to like create a reputation for yourself. So he's like, I just like leaned on my reputation. No one messed with yeah. me. Was that part of it? Was that you had a reputation too? And people were like, all right, well, uh, I don't want to mess with that guy. Everybody has a reputation. When you're a Pelican Bay, everybody has a reputation. Like you're not the only one there that's stabbed people, killed people or whatever. You know, you got there for a reason. So reputations don't really do anything. But there is something about, uh, I had put in, I had put in enough work, work, I could call it. Uh, I had put in, I had done, I committed enough violence where people, and this is where I go back to rules and regulations. You don't just get to come out one day and be like, I'm going to stab this fool. Like, no, it doesn't work like that. I'm going to stab. My name was Tex. They called me John. My name's John. But I'm going to stab John today. Like, you don't just get to come out and think you're going to do that. It doesn't work like that. You, there are, there's a chain of command. Like, I, John's messing up. He needs to be stabbed. Well, you don't, you have to follow certain rules and regulations before you can make that happen. And, and, and sorry, go ahead, please. And like, whenever that comes up for me, it's like, I was a, I was mentored by some of the top gang leaders. They knew me. They cared about me. So eventually they pulled me over and told me, hey, is this what you really want? I told him, yes, this is really what I want. They said, all right, that's fine. If that's what you want, we will let you go. But you'll never, you can never come back. We love you. We care about you. And a, one, of the, one, of my men, one of them who was my mentor was like, look, you were meant for more than dying in here. You were like, you can do so much more. You can have a huge impact. You can show people that gang members, former gang members, former incarcerated people, we're not the monsters. We're not just monsters. We're not just animals. We are more than that. So go home, get the hell out of here. Mind your own business. Nobody's going to bother you. Nobody's going to touch you. Oh, so he, he basically vouched for you then. Yes. He gave me, he gave me a pass. So he's like, so, so you had, you had, you, whatever you had done, you, had, you gave him an opportunity to like, you know, create an opportunity for you. Yeah. He, he, to your point, he cared about you and he, he wanted, he saw that your potential. Right. And, yeah. and I got to assume like, you know, 
it's a mixed emotion, right? If you're stuck in this in this setup, you're like, I'm either going to be good at this, but even then, a part of you probably says, like, well, I know there's a world outside of this. I mean, like, clearly there is. Yeah. There's no, there's no question about that. And and so that, that I guess that created that opportunity. So so for you over those, you started making those changes, and and then that four year term came to pass, and you got probation. Is that basically what went down? No, not probation. I paroled. So okay. thankfully, around the time that I decided my 33rd birthday, when I decided to start changing my life, Cat comes to Pelican Bay. Wow. So it was really, it really like, like all just came together right there. I want to change my life, but I, I really don't know what to do. I can make these changes on my own. And then I have Cat who brings all these amazing people in there and starts telling us like, hey, you have value, you have worth. I've never been told I had value or worth other than in the gang. But when they're like, wow, you're a great speaker, you're a great leader, you're, you have so many skills and talents that could create impact in the world. And that starts to sink in. I'm like, well, maybe these people are right. Maybe they, like all these successful entrepreneurs that she brings in here to, to mentor us, maybe they're right. Maybe they see something that I don't. And so uh, this was, and this was, what year was this? That was 2017. Okay. So, so was that part of, was that, she was still doing Defy then? Is that correct? Yeah, she was still doing Defy then. And we, in Pelican Bay, just to give you some context, we had no programs up there. It's a lockdown prison where you don't have access to programming. You don't have access to any kind of rehabilitative programming. So this entrepreneurship program was freaking amazing because it's like, oh, I'm, I know all these entrepreneurial things. I just don't know the terms for them. Like, I don't know these, I don't know like the economics of one unit, but I instinctively know, I instinctively know them, but I don't know all the technical terms for them. So starting to learn it, it's like, this was like, oh yeah, I'm like a sponge and we're just soaking it up up there. So you got into the, her, her program and for listeners that don't know what a program is, essentially this would be like, like NA or, you know, these different like narcotics or what was it? Like, this was it's like taking a class like yeah class yeah it's like taking a class uh entrepreneurship class with some life skills mixed in right so so in 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 prisons they have these classes you can take to like make yourself better and a lot of people who are doing the programs are trying to better themselves right yep um and 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 is that looked down upon in the prison culture or is that kind of it was early on when i first came to prison like i didn't program and it wasn't only that we didn't that we didn't program we didn't have access to programming. So it took me 10 years to get a GED. I passed it on my first time, finished in the 90th percentile, but never had access to even take my GED for 10 years while I was incarcerated. Yeah, which is crazy. When you start to like look at the system, you're like, what are we really trying to accomplish here? Yeah. Like, you know, are we, are we trying to like, like, listen, like there's plenty of, I'm sure there's some people that probably shouldn't leave prison. Either they're mentally ill and they're dangerous to society or whatever, right? Or they're so entrenched in their beliefs that they're not going to change. But it, it, there's there's a huge population where it's just like, this had rough rough go at it growing up where they made some really stupid decisions. Really stupid. Yeah, really you know? stupid decisions that harmed people and created victims. But when you start to hear the story behind it, it's like, my interest, if I, I, I take ownership of the crimes I committed and the damage that I have caused. And I'm, I am using my life to live amends for that. I can't undo what I did. Right. I wasn't born a gang member. I wasn't born a criminal. There were a set of circumstances that led to that. Finding my mom's murder scene, having my aunt take a drug charge for me. And that like, follow that trail. I wasn't born this way. I wasn't born a criminal or a gang member, but this is what, this is how I became what I became. And given the opportunity, I did take the opportunity to change my life. Yeah, and that, and that and that and that's. I mean, you got to assume like that's a it's a steep hill to climb, right? It's a, especially it's not, it's not like you're like, oh, I'm 16. What am I going to do with my life? You know, it's like yeah. you're like, no, man, I'm like 33, 30, you know, seven when you got out, right? But 33, and I've spent half my life in prison, right? Like, right. And, and probably more than half of your life consciously as like your entire adult life. And then some, right? So yeah. all you know, and to say, oh, I'm done with this. I'm gonna turn my life around. Yeah, it's like that's that's crazy. Like that by itself is a crazy thought. And so, so you started the program with doing Defy and worked through that. And how long was that program? Uh, we did that program for about six months. I graduated. I eventually became a peer leader in the group and got to mentor other people. We ran two other two other groups, so I got to mentor other people coming 
into the program. And that really solidified, like started to solidify my change because people stopped seeing me as a guy to go to for drugs or alcohol or whatever. They stopped seeing me as that person and started seeing me as the guy who like, hey, I need help on writing a resume. I need help on writing a cover letter. I need help in my business idea. And I became that go-to guy instead of being the go-to guy for gang stuff. So, so you got out in 2000, you, so 2017 is when you got out? No, I got out in June of 2019. My three-year anniversary is coming up. In oh, wow, months. man. So, so 2012 is when you got there. You were there for almost seven years? Seven years? Right, back in May, I got there in 2013. So I was there just 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. Yeah, around there. So around you got out just before COVID. Um, did. Wow. So, so how'd that feel, man? <sighs> to get out? Uh, yeah. At first, it was overwhelming. So it wasn't a typical release. There was a typo in my transcripts that resulted in me. So I, I got shipped back to Texas and was handcuffed to a chair for 10 days because there was a typo in my court transcripts that they forgot to check a box that said I had served 18 years in prison. So I was looking at another four years. Thankfully, I had mentors and people who believed in me and helped me get an attorney and fight it. And eventually they released me. They admitted, okay, yeah, we're wrong. We made a mistake. And then they released me. And I actually, like the first, I didn't believe I was ever going to get released. Even when I was in the county jail about to be walked out, I always thought I, I had this thought, they're going to grab me and take me back. They're never going to release me. It's never going to happen. The system has screwed me over time and again. And then finally I was standing in front of like a glass door and I could just see people on the other side standing there waiting for their loved ones. And I'm like, this is door, this door's never gonna open. They're gonna grab me, cut me up and take me back. And they finally opened and I you know, ran out of there uh, as fast as I could. And I, I was I was I was free and I tried to get the hell away from there as fast as possible because I'm like, they're gonna come, they're gonna come grab me outside of here now. And eventually I went to stay with a volunteer that uh, a friend of mine who let me stay at his house and I just passed out of sheer exhaustion and being overwhelmed. Um, it took a while to sink in that I like wasn't in prison. I didn't sleep for about two weeks. Um, just from, I was so used to being in a cell. So being in a house where I couldn't see everything that was going on freaked me out. Every noise freaked me out. I mean, I was, for 18 years, I lived in a box where I could see everything. I, I know exactly what's going on everywhere within that that confine. So to be in a huge house uh, really freaked me out. What, what what did what about just like visually seeing like the different the world as it had changed? What did, how did that how was that experience? It was very different to walk. Um, so I was released in San Antonio where I was born and raised. So like I went down to the river walk, right and. It was uncomfortable to be around people because I, I am so used to, I was so used to thinking that violence can occur at any moment that I'm like, I'm, I'm on guard at anybody who walks near me or looks at me funny or stares at me. And it, cre it was not comfortable. It took me, I'm still, I still work on that and interact the way that I interact with people and the way that people look at me because people stare. It's what they, people stare out here. Well, in prison, people don't stare at you because when you stare at somebody, that means well, you must want something. Uh, problem. Oh, you're saying just like people in general stare. Like this. Yeah, out here, people like they they look at you, they stare at you. In prison, you don't really do that too much because it's like, what the hell are you staring at? And I was actually with Kat one day. We were at a coffee shop, and this guy is like staring. I'm six foot four, so I'm kind of a tall guy. It's not unusual for somebody who's tall to get like for you for you looked at. And he was staring at me. And I know now that he didn't mean any harm and he wasn't a threat to me. But I just gave him like the desk there. I'm like, what are you looking at? What do you want? And she's like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, what the hell is he looking at? What does he want? Like, why would you stare at me? You must want something if you're staring at me that hard. So I've had to work through to, to catch myself to realize like, that's not the way I need to behave out here. And it's not the way to solve violence. It's not the way aggression is not the way to solve problems anymore. And so do you feel like now that you're, you know, I mean, and I guess getting out when you got out, it's like you walked into the world in like the, like the world, like, uh, like 
like uh, the the world got turned upside down the minute you got out, right? So you, you I was have... built for the, I was built for COVID. Like people in prison, we were freaking built for COVID, for lockdown, for not going anywhere, for yeah. like getting super creative in in my confines, you know? Yeah, like you're like someone telling you what to do, and you got to wear a mask. You're like, you're like, oh shit, people have been telling me what to do for half my life. Yeah, whatever, no big deal. Yeah, yeah, it's it's people who are used to being able to do anything they want. Yeah, have any rules, then it's like that they've had a lot of trouble with this. Um, so, so yeah, I guess you're right. Like that, that prop maybe, maybe it made the transition easier because it, it kind of did. Like being stuck in, I, I wasn't stuck in my house. Like, I, I, something that I was very grateful for and that I acknowledged was when I was in prison, I couldn't walk out of my cell whenever I wanted. I could step out into my yard whenever I want. Like, this get perspective like I, I i want to acknowledge that everybody that experienced covid and was locked down that sucked and it it hurt and it's painful and it wasn't fun but we can walk out of our house anytime we want right you can walk out and get fresh air for four years in solitary confinement i never saw I, for 15 the longest was my 15 months i literally never saw the sun literally like not like i didn't see the sun no i literally never saw the sun yeah, I don't even. I, I actually, I think that it's unhealthy to do that. Like, it's like, like, it's actually like from a health perspective, like, like you're actually like poisoning people. It's yeah, like, it's fucking crazy, dude. So, so, dude, so congrats, congrats on on doing the work to get out, man. That's awesome, and it's it's good good to hear. That's it makes me happy to hear that. And so now you're out, and tell me, like, how was it to? I mean, how was it to go from you know being in this such a unique environment to now you're in the in the non you know prison environment you got to get a job and you're you're like you know like how did that work because i mean i got to assume it's really hard to get a job and you know I, and i and i'm a big believer that our system is totally fucking broken where okay i put someone in prison and let, let's just say like every minute of that term you earned like you know one yeah. people some people might feel like you didn't some people might feel like you did let's just say like that's not an argue. let's not argue that let's say fine you, you got what you deserved and you shouldn't have done the bad thing you did and you paid your you know you for your crimes and now you're out yeah now you get out you got you know this like there's no you don't have a resume right i mean your resume is like 18 years of being a stand-up gang member a huge gap in my resume yeah a yeah, huge gap like like, <laughs> like 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 no job hopping yeah you know? But like you can't put like I was the lieutenant, you know, you know, gang, you know, colonel of the gang. Yeah, no. Right? Like no one's gonna like I, I had nine I got promoted ten times. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like, like, like do you understand I was the fastest promoted promoted you know, <laughs> intern in the gangs? I became almost the CEO. You know? <laughs> like no no one's no one's like giving you a you, you don't get credit for that. Outside, no, I don't. I definitely side right? my resume. It's not in my cover letter either. Yeah, shit. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I I took one from the team so many times. Yeah. Uh, um, you can't brag about that stuff, but you know, I mean, but but you get out, and you know what I what I believe is one of the biggest reasons why there's such a high recidivism rate is that people are set up to fail. Man, can't get a job, can't live anywhere. Especially, I mean, like depending on what you got charged with, it's like really hard unless you have a really big safety net social network, it's really hard to like get out and then go and act. And the end, you got to acclimate to this world that you didn't fit in before. Well, on so, top of acclimating and getting a job, it's like when you get out, it's a legal requirement for you to have a job. It's also a legal requirement for you to do like eight hours of classes a day. It's like, how the hell am I supposed to go to work and go to all these classes and like report to my probation or parole officer, have my parole officer search my house once a month like, I, I, it's it's almost impossible to meet all of the demands that they all the restrictions that the handcuffs they place on you after you after they take them off. Yeah, it just doesn't make sense, right? I mean, if the goal and and my issue with it on top of the big as double, right? Because I'm I'm pretty hardcore like conservative when it comes to money stuff, and I'm like, I'm paying a hundred grand a year for someone to be in prison, like which is fucking crazy. Yeah, and then pull them out. So to then not set them up to be successful, to then put them back in. And I'm like, this is such a drag on society financially. I'm like, this is a bad investment. Like the whole yeah. investment fucked up. It doesn't the, way we, the way we like to describe it is if, if, it, if prison was a college and people, you pay, if you're paying $100,000 a year to go there and these people get out and we get out and there's no, none of them find, and like, I think it's like 15% of them find jobs after you've graduated from college. 
we're being released from prison. That's a pretty crappy success rate. I wouldn't enroll in that college. Yeah, yeah. I think they had them. They were like the University of Phoenix, like, like they <laughs> online colleges. They yeah. all got they all got sued for that, right? Sure. Because you're not the outcome is not is not correlated to the investment, right? So forget about like the social whatever your beliefs are on you know crime and prison and all that. Yeah, I just want to look at this financially. Financially it is a bad investment. I spend hundreds of thousands. If I put someone in prison for five years, I spend a half a million bucks for them to get out. And then they go on welfare and they can't get a job. And they, they, you know, it's like, and I'm paying food stamps and I'm paying for them to, you know, and, and they're, and they're basically like, and they, then they're like, fuck this. Yeah. Way easier when I was in prison. This is like yeah. living in poverty shit's the worst. So I'm just going to go do what I was good at, which is commit crimes. And yeah. I'm going to go back to prison. Yeah. Like, as would it, most people, right? Because why, that's, not, why not take the easier path? Like, yeah, prison sucks. But when you are just, when, when you're discriminated against out here, when it's like, for me, I, I committed my crimes when I was 17. Like this happened over 20 years ago and you're still going to punish me for it. You gave me a prison sentence, right? Yeah, I point? did my prison sentence. And now like when I was released, it's completely legal in California for home for, for a landlord to say, to discriminate against you because of your criminal history. But it is also a legal requirement for me to have a, a stable residence. How am I supposed to do that when I have to tell my landlord? Because the parole officer makes you, they tell you, whenever you apply for a place, you have to tell them you have a criminal history. Well, who the hell, well, I have to tell you, hey, I have four, I have seven violent felonies. Can I live in your apartment? Yeah. In your apartment? I, dude, I'm a landlord. If you told me that, I'd be like, you seem All like right. a nice guy, dude, but no fucking way. Yeah. Like, uh, you think my other tenants who are like VPs in Silicon Valley are going to be cool with that? Yeah. <laughs> They're going to be like, Dude, what do you know? Like, like, yeah. like, 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 so it's broken on both sides, right? Because the landlord's put in a bad position, but so is the, the tenant, right? Which is, and, and it's all because it, here's the deal if the recidivism rate was 1%, landlord wouldn't care. No. Right? Because landlord would be like, oh, we have a great re- rehabilitation system. Yeah. Like, oh, really? I'm so happy you, you got through that and you're being successful now. But the, the reality is, what's the recidivism rate? Like 90% or it's, something? It's like almost, after three years, it's almost 90%. Yeah, so the landlord's like, dude, I don't want my apartment building to be the next you know, crime scene. Yeah. Like that's that's, that's that the issue. Fear is, that fear is valid. Totally valid. You know? so, so you get out and you're like, all right, I got to go build a life. Like, like how, how did that go? Well, thankfully, I had a job day one. Kat started Hustle 2.0 at Pelican Bay. She came in there, this lady's crazy um, and crazy brave, and pulls all of us, all the gang leaders into one room and just asks, like, hey, is like this what you guys want to be known for? It's like, I'm not scared of you. Like, you think everybody's scared of you? You're just some big bad gang member. Um, do you want to be known for more than just being a gang member? And we said yes. And we started writing for Hustle 2.0 and we started using our voices for positive leadership. So, whenever day one, when I got released, my job was to continue writing curriculum for Hustle 2.0. Um, so I, I'm, I'm a rare case, unfortunately, that I had a job day one and I had an amazing support group behind me who believed in me and helped me get an apartment, helped me get a house, helped me get a job, helped me find transportation, all the things that I needed to be successful. I had a freaking amazing team of people who said, you're going to be successful and we're going to help you get there. Yeah. That, I mean, it speaks to what we just said before, like having that, that, you know, community, Right, because community. Yeah. I think this is all about community at the end of the day, right? Had you had you had the right community growing up, the odds of the things happening to you that happened to you or the crimes that you chose would have been way lower, right? Yeah, you kind of are who you, you know. What they say, like you are the average of your top five friends, right? Like, like, and if your family is that, then and your family is telling you to commit crimes, and the odds of you committing crimes goes up exponentially, right? Yeah, if, if I was in a group of CEOs and entrepreneurs growing up, all the skills that I had within me. Yeah, you would have been like the 70 year old intern. Yeah, those I would have been able to learn from you and all these other awesome CEOs and all these people who are doing great, all these awesome entrepreneurs. And I'm like, okay, I can do this. I was around people who said, this is how you use your entrepreneurial skills. You sell yeah. drugs, you, you know, you, this, this is what we do. So I'm like, yeah. oh, this is what we do. So yeah, so now you're, you're the director of correctional partnerships for Hustle 2.0. What does that mean? Uh, that means I am responsible for not only writing our curriculum, but kind of being the face to correctional partners and showing them that this program works. 
that engaging in rehabilitative programming can change. I, I the, the the prison system, the knuckleheads, the, the the you know the ones that you have the hardest time with. I was that I was that person, and I look at me now because I took these programs because I did this. Let me show you how we can implement this into your prison and how I can turn your 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 hard to reach population. How I can get them to engage. And it works. They they want to hear. They're like, okay, yeah, these are the knuckleheads. These are the guys who are stabbing my cops every day. These are the guys who are causing fires and riots. I need something to solve this problem. And that's where we that's where my job comes in is showing them, hey, this is what we do. This is what I'm about. Because I uh I don't know what I, I do know what it means to not look like it, but I don't look like I I don't look you don't see tattoos like yeah, I was I gonna say, I was gonna say, I don't see any neck tats or anything. They're, they're all under my under here. All of my gang tattoos are under my shirt. So you you were one step ahead when you were in prison. You were thinking about that. <laughs> I was taught, yeah, I was schooled differently. Like they're like they the reason why my homeboys love me and like really I moved up is because I'm well spoken, I don't have tattoos, I'm diplomatic. They're like, you're perfect. Nobody would ever suspect you. Oh, interesting. Yeah, because I, I I'll be honest with you, I was like I was like, I don't see any tats peeking out, right? <laughs> and, 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 and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not the street smartest, but I'm smart, smarter than the average bear. So I was like, where's his tats at? Yeah, they're all, they're, they're there. They're all, they're all down here. Yeah, uh, you're, wow. you're good. You kept it low, right? So, yeah. so, so yeah. Now nowadays, do they tat their faces? And I'm like, dude, like no. you can't hide that shit. You can't. Like I. I when I'm walking in the streets out here in California, I can spot a gang member like oh. that. It's bam, right hands, there. Hands yeah. too. Hands yeah. and neck and face. The hands are the, the, the quickest way. And I, I actually like it that like when I gave my TEDx, uh, a lot of people commented on there that I'm a fake, like this guy doesn't even have tattoos. I'm like, good. You don't think that I am that person. That's what like because I'm not and, and the actual truth is I'm not that person anymore. I'm not a gang member anymore. I'm not. I'm not that person anymore, but it's, it's, uh, it's really interesting that that's, that's what people see. When people think of gang members, they think of tattoos, they think of like, they think of all that. So when I was in prison, it was like, I was taught like, don't, don't, don't tattoo your face. Don't, you need, you need to be under the radar, fly low. That way nobody ever suspects you. Yeah. The, the, that's, uh, that, that you're lucky that that was the culture, right? Cause if the culture was, Hey dude, you, if you're one of us, you got to tattoo your neck. Yeah. You probably would have done it. Yeah. I probably well that was the culture. The culture is you get it blasted everywhere all over. Oh, 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 really? Okay. Yeah, but there's also there are also people who are different. Like even within that culture, there are people who are like, I don't need to do all of that to prove to you who I am. Like I'll I'll show you with my actions and what I'm about. Oh, I, don't really? need, I don't need a tattoo to show you that I'm 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 down. Like that I'm with I'm with the business. Like I'll I'll show you with my actions. So that, that so there's an element of luck there, right? That your mentors happen to follow that school of thought, right? Because your mentors could have been like, "Hey, hey, hey, homeboy, if you like really back us, like, yeah. and they're and they're all added up, you're like, all right, I'm gonna look like you, yeah. Right? Like if you're 17, dude, I'm I, I know what I would have done if <laughs> would anybody like like you're trying to survive, right? So you 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 acclimate to the environment you're in, you know, you yeah. you mirror, you mimic, and and so that's that's. There's an element of luck there. There's an element of luck. You know, it's half of it's luck and half of it's the work, right? You know, like meeting Kat when you met her and having that mindset. You could have met her five years earlier and you wouldn't have done anything with that. If I, I, her and I have talked about this. If I had met her and the program before, I would have told them, like, go screw yourself. I'm not, I don't need your programming. Like, we're not, I'm not doing it. Yeah. I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready yet. It, yeah. took that, it took that moment of me realizing I don't want to die in here. And seeing like, oh crap, here's an awesome opportunity with the five and with Hustle 2.0 to change my life and making the most of it, making myself valuable and saying yes. Like when Cal was like, do you want to public speak? I was like, hell no, I don't want to public speak. But, and I really didn't. I was like, no, I don't want to stand in front of people and talk. And that's very persuasive. Um, to get <laughs> like, no, you're going to talk. You're going to lead our, you're going to lead our events. And eventually I did. And it led to where I am today. Oh man, that's so so good to hear. So so look, we ran out of time, ran over actually, but I'm sorry, I was intrigued by the whole story. So man, like where can people hook up with you? I know you're doing, you know, Hustle 2.0. We can, you know, promote that, but if people want to connect with you or, you know, have you come and speak at their events or learn more about the stuff you're doing, how would they uh, connect with you? Um, you can, I guess, 
I don't have a speaker page, but I do do speaking. This all comes from people reaching out. You can email me at jmjacks, uh, john at hustle20.com if you'd yeah. like to connect. Yeah, so John, J-O-H-N, at, at hustle20. Yeah, hustle20.com. So yeah. you guys heard it here. We'll put it in the show notes. Man, John, such a treat to have you on the show, brother. And uh, I'm so grateful that, you know, that you've been able to do the things you've done in your life and, and what you're doing right now is, is work that's important and proud to have you here and have you be a part of this. Yeah, thank you for having me here to share a part of my story to, and thank you for supporting the work that we get to do and being a part of this team. Thank you. Yeah, man, I, I'm a big fan of your guys' work and anyone out there that wants to really help, uh, you can go to hustle to, hustle20.com and uh, sponsor people that are using the curriculum that John's writing. I'd, I'd what I sponsor 59 of your guys. You, you put a huge, you like knocked out all the scholarships of people who were sitting in a cell, that cell I described, waiting for our books or waiting for that second chance. You've like knocked that out of the park. And if anybody else is like having that desire to make a difference in someone's life that you may not even know and offer them a second chance, go to our website and you can sponsor a scholarship for two or 10 or 20. Yeah, let's do the best uh, 50 bucks I've, I've spent times 59. So <laughs> easy 50 bucks to change a life. I'm, I'm down for it. And uh, we, we all need to do our part. So my friend, thank you for so much for being on the show, guys. Man, what a treat, John. Thank you for coming, my friend. Thank you. All right, guys. We'll see you guys next time. Peace out. We love you. You are listening to The Greatness Machine, and that's a wrap for today. Listen, if you love what you heard, subscribe to the show on whatever podcast platform that you're tuning in on so that you don't miss any of our future episodes. We have tons of great people coming on, and we're, we're stoked to have you here to enjoy it with us. Leave us a review. Tell us what you love most about this particular episode. We love getting the reviews. We love to see what you guys love most. And if this particular episode you know, made you think of someone who's leveling up in their business and in their life, print screen, share it with them. Leaders are the best givers. And after all, we're all here to support and grow with each other. And in case you want to see some of the fun behind the scenes shots or some of the things that we're doing, I'm actually writing about this in my weekly newsletter. Go to www.therealdarius.com and subscribe to my newsletter. We're talking about fun things like business and life and mindfulness and cryptocurrencies and gosh, I don't even know everything and anything, but it's tons of fun stuff I write about. I try to get it out on a weekly basis. You can subscribe at www.therealdarius.com. And with that said, look, thank you guys so much. Appreciate you. I love you. Peace. We're out of here. See you guys on the next one. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you wanna learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join podcast royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.